श्री धमदार जनानी शिवराम स्वामी चैप्टर थ्री कृष्ण ब्रेक्स द टर्निंग पॉट संजात कोपस्फुरीता अरुणाधराम संदस्यधाधिमंत भजनाम बिवामृषाशु दुषद आस्मनाहो being very angry and biting his reddish lips with his teeth krishna with false tears in his eyes broke the container of yogurt with a piece of stone he then entered the room and began to eat the freshly churned butter in a solitary place shrimad bhagavatam 10 9 6 in the way that a child's appetite for sweets increases with every bite and in the way that a drunkard desires more wine with every sip so krishna's absorption in his pastime intensified with each unfolding scene for a moment krishna's aggrieved reaction to being denied his mother's breast milk was subdued by the wonder at her service attitude he watched transfixed as yashoda devi ran into the kitchen and so revealed the ultimate picture of maternal love it was an image that krishna secreted in the core of his heart and one that disclosed a truth known to exceptionally qualified devotees to serve krishna devotees would agree to be separated from him only because it pleased him would mother yashoda let krishna herd calves in the forests only because he wanted to deliver vasudev and devaki Would the Rajvasis allow him to go to Mathura? Only because they thought he wanted aristocratic girls, would the Gopis forgive his infidelity? While separation between lovers is generally painful, it was different with Krishna and the Rajvasis. When Krishna was distant from them, the Rajvasis externally behaved as if they had been poison. However, the internal reality, what the Rajvasis felt, was entirely different. While separation appeared devastating it actually caused feelings of unprecedented bliss and so it was for krishna when he was in the forest krishna's heart yearned for his mother's touch and when he was in mathura krishna would cry for after the rajvasis and when he was sleeping beside rukmini he would call out radha's name at those times krishna's suffering was so extreme that it frightened his associates yet at the same time within himself krishna felt unprecedented bliss overpowering heartache intense longing and unrelented hope were the catalysts that transformed his suffering into ecstasy and that ecstasy was so unique that krishna wondered what is this mysterious poison that transforms into the sweetest bliss it has been just like that now after he had snuggled into yashoda's embrace krishna had become both the victim of neglect and the beneficiary of bliss it was an extraordinary experience one that he continued to enjoy until his rebellious mind thought she has left me for some milk following the experience of separation came thoughts of being neglected and from those thoughts emerged corresponding feelings that stoked the anger of love burned thus by the fire of indignation krishna boiled like a baby volcano madhya shoda 
was also a beneficiary of a similar but even more intense sweetness. Upon feeding Krishna, she tasted the heavenly nectar of his touch, and when she put him down, she drank the abysmal poison of his absence. But as she rushed to save the boiling milk, her ecstasy amazingly increased step by step. Just like Krishna, she too was intoxicated by the love of separation. However, because he was the object of love, she and she was the subject. Because, however, because he was the object of love and she the subject, because he was limited, and she limited her pleasures, both nectarian and poisonous, were a hundred times greater than his. So when divine love forced Yashoda to rush to the stove, she was so disoriented that in an invisible way Yogamaya had to guide her. Knowing that his mother's bliss exceeded his own, Krishna felt further deprived. Another injustice! Pierced thus from multiple directions, mount, his mounting anger finally erupted. Although a little boy of three, Krishna was the origin of anger, material and spiritual. The forms of Virabhadra and Nrsinga may have appeared ferocious by comparison to baby Krishna. But the fierceness of the anger that he felt was no less than theirs. In this way, frustration at being neglected, jealousy of the boiling milk, and the injustice of being spiritually shortchanged cause a host of bodily symptoms. His hands clenched and unclenched, his little chest heaved with rapid breathing, his black complexion became tinged with red, eyes reddish, eyebrows flitted, and his lips trembling. Krishna glared in the direction of the kitchen, bit his lower lip, and vowed, I will get revenge. Feeling the heat of Krishna's wrath, the two parrots left their nearby perch for the security of the balcony and the company of other birds. Too alarmed to speak, the birds could only wonder at the cause of Krishna's sudden fury. One bird thought, He must be upset at being deprived of his mother's milk. Another thought, more upsetting than that must be his feelings of abandonment. Yet another, for such a young child, the pangs of unsatiated hunger are most upsetting. Finally, one bird tweeted softly, His anger is most natural for a young child, and it arises spontaneously and without cause. Although they could not agree that Krishna's anger was even real, the birds huddled together lest it were, and more so lest it be directed at them. When a shower of hot, angry tears issued forth from Krishna's lotus eyes, most birds became convinced that Krishna's anger was heartfelt, although a few remained unconvinced that it was a show. Craning their necks as only they can, the birds followed Krishna's movements and spoke amongst each other in hushed tones that only they could hear. The way of birds is to bicker. At odds as to the cause of Krishna's anger and tears, they now argued in undertones. Were his tears real or false? Did they represent true emotions or a subterfuge? In regards to knowledge of Krishna's pastimes, the parrots and the owl were most learned, and therefore birds like the wagtail were inclined to share their conclusions. Shuka said, Child Krishna's show of anger and tears are certainly deceitful, for in the shelter of a mother like Yashoda, 
he has no reason to exhibit them. The owl concurred. Indeed, his tears are simply meant to deceive his mother and to garner sympathy. But Shari, who had the heart of a mother, saw things differently. From your adult point of view, Krishna's tears may indeed appear false, but from his childish perspective, they are not. For him, they are real. The two senior males exchanged glances. Continued Sari, as mentioned early, under these circumstances, tears are natural for a child. The wagtail added, There is no doubt that sometimes, in order to get his way, Krishna cries false tears. But this time, he is crying because he remains hungry. Who can blame a child for that? Shari continued her defense. Whatever we may think, Krishna's anger arises from his innermost mind, and the subsequent tears are as factual as the truth of the Puranas. Why would he have cause for false tears when there is no one here to see them? To check that no one was present, the birds looked this way and that. It was true. There was no one other than Krishna and his rising anger. Indeed, the atmosphere seemed to crackle with tension in the way that air sparks during a thunderstorm. Shuka nodded in agreement. There is no public here to impress, and that lends weight to the logic that Krishna's tears are factual. Shari elaborated, It is natural that someone exaggerates their condition. For example, when a lady is tired, she may make excessive facial and bodily gestures to accentuate fatigue. Although those gestures are exaggerations, the underlying cause is real. Similarly, Krishna's tears may dramatize his condition, but that does not make them false. His anger and sorrow are real. The owl blinked to affirm the truth of what he had heard. And while Shari's conclusion seemed to quell all dispute, a young songbird from Mathura raised a question that vexed the others. From the scriptures we know that the Lord is always satisfied within himself, and that he knows neither hunger nor thirst. Dear friends, is it not contradictory to say that Krishna is hungry and angry? The local birds were all disturbed by this intrusion, but Shuka pacified them with a nod. After all, it was their duty to bring Raja's visitors to a higher stage of understanding. Deferring to the wisest of them, Shuka nodded towards the owl, who replied, Who? Who? Who do you think Krishna is? A bit uncertain, the songbird looked at Krishna and then at the birds. He is the Supreme Lord, having assumed the innocent form of a child. He is now pretending to be dissatisfied and angry in order to nourish the parental love of Mother Yashoda. The owl rotated his head in expression of displeasure. You, who have come from Mathura, and so your perspective of Krishna's pastimes is mature. Please listen. The other birds nodded in agreement, and with their eyes on Krishna, they cocked their feathery ears. Krishna is not acting. Dependence on his parents is a feature of his essential identity, his Swarupa Dharma, 
and from that dependence sprouts the inspiration by which he becomes the father of all living entities, and hence their maintainer, Janardana. This child Krishna is the original feature of Godhead. He is not an expansion of Narayana. Rather, Narayana is his expansion. Therefore, whatever moods and gestures you see him express are spontaneous, not a show. Do you understand? The songbird understood. Elated by the association of Raja's birds, he began to sing sweetly. But Shuka commented, for good measure. Mayavadi philosophers may argue that the anger is a mundane emotion, and that the Lord should not exhibit any of the eighteen human defects. However, his anger is transcendental and an expression of divine love. When this divine anger is reflected off a mirror of matter, it is known as mundane anger, and it is an expression of frustrated want. Knowers of the truth conclude that Krishna's pastimes in Raj are not material but divine, not a performance, but expressions of his identity. Shuka and the others fell silent and turned their attention on Krishna. And just in time, Krishna's anger had not faded. Eager to express itself in a way that would fill his desires and participate in another pastime, it soared. Outraged Krishna looked around for something upon which to vent his fury. His eyes fell on the churn. He reached out to grasp the churning rod. With no motive to do harm to his mother, but impelled by the ecstasy raging within, Krishna tried to raise the rod, but could not. It remained tied to the pillar. He tugged, but it held fast. He, by whose will alone devotees are freed from the three modes of nature, failed to sever the three silken ropes. The pastime potency would not have it. His attempt thwarted. Krishna's anger arose further. The churn could see what was coming, but it was not anxious about its fate. It existed for Krishna's pleasure, and being fully surrendered to it, knowing that it would remain always a servant of the Lord. On the previous day, Krishna had collected some stones from the courtyard and brought them into the house. His lotus eyes now fell on a small, pointed stone that was a part of a broken pestle. Reaching down, he artfully held the stone like a dagger and then struck the bottom of the churn with the pointed edge. Once. Twice. Meanwhile, Mother Yashoda had removed the pot of milk and was fussing over the stove to lower its heat. Krishna cast a guilty glance in her direction, noting that she had not heard him but remained preoccupied, he struck again, thrice. The pot cracked neatly into two with just the slightest sound. Pleased with his own antics, Krishna betrayed himself with a mischievous smile. Oh, that servant girl, Yashoda muttered, and with her back towards him added, Just a minute, darling, I shall be there. But the son of Nanda, was preoccupied. As the 
yogurt flowed steadily through the cracked churn and onto the floor. He tapped the pot with his forefinger, and the churn silently split into two halves, and the way palace gates opened to receive a king. The sound of the breaking churn resembled the Brahmana's chant of Swaha as they poured libations on the sacrificial fire. The splatter of yogurt and butter resembled their subsequent prayers, Idam Krishnaya Idam Namama, and the churning rod rubbing against the pillar, and the churning rod rubbing against the pillar was the tinkling sound of the bells Brahmana's ring during the food offering to the Lord. Hunger prodded Krishna forward. Just see this delicious feast. Heeding this advice, Krishna crawled through the churn butter. But by the time he reached the broken churn, its contents had spilled onto the floor. Not a drop of uncontaminated butter remained. Thwarted again, Krishna's hunger also transformed into anger. His chakura-like eyes brimming with tears, Krishna clenched the two rows of his moon-like teeth tinted red by the rays of his ruby lips. He had taken so much effort, risked so much, and was no better off than before. One more moment, darling. But Krishna did not have another moment, indignantly splashing the spilled yogurt here and there. Determined to satisfy his hunger at all costs, Krishna resolved to raid the storeroom. In the small vestibule was a doorway opening into the storeroom adjoining the kitchen. It was here that Yashoda Devi stored cooking supplies. There was wheat, rice, and spices in the chest-high vessels and milk products in clay pots hanging from the ceiling. The room was dark and cool and kept locked from the prying eyes and eager tongues of Krishna and his friends. But Krishna knew where the key was hidden. His feet covered in buttery yogurt. The confirmed butter thief headed into the bedchamber, leaving telltale footprints wherever he went. When Krishna reached the Almira in the dressing salon, he knew that he was entering uncharted waters. Never before had he been so daring. Although he was ruthless at the neighbors, he was always careful not to upset his mother at home. Good domestic conduct assured him of her royal protection from village complaints. But this was something new. I don't care. The birds craned their necks and watched as Krishna lifted the key from a drawer, and now in a fearful yet playful mood, romped through the rooms, smearing the walls and furniture with his yogurty hands. The thrill of mischief was intoxicating, and in such an inebriated state, Krishna lost sight of right and wrong. Noticing the watching birds, he threw them a glance that said, If you want to be fed here in the future, be sure that you do not see anything. Obedient, the birds turned their backs to the palace and looked out on Gokul town. What an eventful morning! Shall we peek? Not unless you want to end up like the sons of Maharaj Sagara, with no witness about, and comforted by the sight of his mother's mopping up the spilt milk, 
Krishna stepped into the reception room, where he quietly slipped the key into the storeroom door and turned it. The lock made a soft click, and the door gave way. Krishna entered the storeroom and again closed the door behind him. It was pitch black, but not for long. Invoking his divine effulgence, Krishna lit up the storeroom in the way that the Brahmajyoti lights up the darkness beyond the coverings of the universe. Krishna looked at the many pots hanging from the ceiling. They were too high for him to reach. Scanning the storeroom, he saw a tall mortar in which his mother would grind spices. Then he who was unable to reach the pots now moved the heavy mortar in place and stepping on a crate of vegetables, scaled the mortar to within reach of his goal. For a moment, Krishna stopped to hear what his mother was doing. That silly servant girl, she muttered. She is still preoccupied, he whispered. Removing a few pots with great effort, Krishna placed them at his feet and then, crawling to the ground, he used the mortar as a picnic table over which he leaned casually. Finally, he had what he had wanted, yesterday's freshly churned butter. Curious to see if their contents were identical, Krishna ripped off the cloth coverings and sampled the butter from each pot, all while making pleasant sounds of satisfaction. Some pots been earmarked for yogurt, some for ghee, and some for butter. They were all heavenly. He could discern no difference between them. His mother was an unparalleled master in the art of making butter. Mm. <sighs> the taste of the butter was incredible. But the truth of the matter was that it was not what butter was normally like. It looked like butter and felt like butter, but it was not. It was Mother Yashoda's love for him in the form of dairy. The sensation of dipping his hand into the butter was the same as being held in her embrace. The taste of the butter on his tongue was the same as the taste of her breast milk, and the effect of his eye and the effect on his eyes of seeing the butter was the same as seeing her transcendental form. Was it butter? No. It was more like Madhyashoda. And the combined impact of these sensations seemed to bring Yashoda into Krishna's presence. And so for a moment he panicked, thinking that she had entered the storeroom. Then, regaining his composure, Krishna continued to savor the butter, but as usual, he restrained himself from eating too much. If I overeat, then the effect of this butter will subdue me and make me submissive to mother and bring this pastime to an end. That was the reason he always stole the neighbor's produce and not his mother's. Yashoda's dairy was so saturated with her comparable love that it would immediately bridle him and bring him under her control. Such an outcome would be incompatible with his pastimes. It would mean no more stealing and no more mischief. Since the neighbor's produce lacked the intensity of Yashoda's love, 
it lacked the same controlling power. He could therefore freely plunder their homes without fear of becoming a docile do-gooder and the laughing stock of his friends. But this morning, Krishna's anger insulated him from the domesticated effects of his mother's butter. Bodily hairs erect and his limbs trembling in ecstasy, he was able to savor the special taste of her labors. And as he did, so he could not help but exclaim, Mm. 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 But there was a problem. As he relished this special treat, it caused his anger to wane, and thus fear of his mother waxed. As his fear mounted, Krishna's appetite lessened, and like an ordinary child, his mind eventually became filled with doubt. What will happen when mother sees the mess I made? And what if my friends come just now and tattle on me? What if the neighbors use this as evidence of their complaints to date? Who knows what she will do? His fears fueled by such thoughts, tears again welled up in Krishna's eyes, flowed down his cheeks and flooded his lips. Sniffling, Krishna wiped away his tears and in doing so smeared his face with butter. The evidence was now indelible. Who knows what she will do? With thoughts of punishment surfing his mind, Krishna, like all naughty boys, sought escape. The nearest door led to the grand hall where guards were stationed. They would immediately raise the alarm. That is not a good escape route. The only other way out was back through the parlor, between the kitchen and the bedchamber, and then down the back staircase to the courtyard, and that meant entering her line of vision. I can hide in the garden until mother becomes so fearful at my disappearance that her anger abates. Krishna cocked his ears. What was she doing? There seemed to be no noise from the kitchen. She is finished cleaning up? He panicked. He who is feared by fear personified blanched, and his dark blue complexion turned a pale sky color. Tears continued to roll down his cheeks, and his limbs shook. What will I do? How will I escape? Seeing that her lord required assistance, the pastime potency exerted her mystic influence over Mother Yashoda and made her unable to detect what had happened next. Reassured by his divine side, Krishna carefully opened the door, but then stopped. With an impish smile, he turned back into the storeroom and embraced a pot of butter. Holding the pot to his chest, Krishna then passed through the doorway and skillfully braved the open spaces leading to the back stairway. Afraid to look in the direction of his mother, Krishna followed his own buttery footsteps, shedding false tears as insurance against being caught. But when he reached the broken churn, thrilled by the apparent victory of his caper, Krishna stomped around in the spilled produce for good measure. Then feeling very satisfied with himself, he leapt through the back door and down the stairs into the courtyard. 